Welcome to PWGC's Environmental Echo. Today's episode is a continuation of our discussion with Assemblywoman Jody Giglio. If you haven't listened to part one, you can find it on our channel. We hope you enjoy the episode. We go out, we thermally um, test the ground too before we put these systems in to make sure, you know, we, we have an idea of what's like how it's going to react in terms of heat rejection and heat absorption and all that fun stuff. So we, we do design these things, right? We, we look out, you know, at least 50 plus years, you know, uh, it's, it's, and there's not a whole lot of regulation on it right now, which no. maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Um, I, I'd say the bad part would be is it's like the Wild West, you know, first come, first serve, you know, the pioneers, you just go out and if I put a geothermal system in right here and what's my neighbor going to do? You yeah. Know, all, yeah. It's like a checkerboard, you know, if it all starts popping up and, you know, can we overload the ground or do we have to just go deeper with the next guy? You know, so yeah. all that has to be taken into consideration. But it's, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all yeah. in on it. Me too. I mean, that geothermal makes sense because you really don't need anything. You just need the original, original infrastructure and, you know, that'll maintain it. But, you know, we talk about humanitarian efforts and we talk about electric vehicles. And if people only knew how those batteries were made, where you have children that are seven and eight years old in the Congo, in these trenches, mining for cobalt and lithium in order to make these batteries. And these kids are dying from respiratory illnesses. They don't have any PPE. You know, they're getting paid a dollar a day and they're happy to have it. And, you know, they're, they're losing their lives mining in these cobalts. Now operating engineer on Moshe 30 certified. And I know that I would never go into a trench that these kids are going into and start chipping away at cobalt. But, um, you think about that and you think about the minerals and the sources that are need to make these electric batteries and then think about the disposal of those electric batteries, which we haven't come up with yet, nor have we come up with the mechanism for disposals of wind turbines or solar panels. Right. right. So that know, was also on my list. You're hitting all the <laughs> topics. This is great. <laughs> so it sounds great. Yeah. You know, we're going to save energy, but at the end of the day, what, destruction is going to take place in the environment when you try and dispose of the batteries that are no longer that no longer have a life and you're hearing more of that every day because these electric vehicles came out about 10 years ago and you hear of people just blowing up their cars because they found out that the new battery is going to cost them thirty thousand dollars and they're not going to be able to get it for months because the it's coming from china and you you a lot of people are starting to, you know, the research now is, it's always been, you know, how do we make the batteries last longer, better, charge faster, blah, blah, blah. But now they're also researching, what do we do with these things when, they, when they're done? You know, yeah. how do we get rid of them? How do we recycle them, repurpose them? So there's, there's, I know there's, there's been some investment in that. And, um, you know, some friends have been saying, if you're going to put money in the stock market, look at these guys that are uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with these batteries. Because if they get this right, you know, yeah. they may be onto something. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just like I with, hope they do get it right. Just like with computers, laptops, yep. and computer parts, where they started taking away and they took the fine metals and they were finding re- new markets and reuses for that. So the e-waste. Yeah, yeah, it's going to have to be. Uh, we're going to have to do something similar, but. That is a good investment, in my opinion, and in my opinion, if we're going to be mandating electric vehicles, we should be setting up the process right now for um, the creation of the batteries, number one, the disposal of the batteries, and and everything that has to do with that. I, at UPS, had um, there was a pilot. There was a company from Syacet, I believe, that had a pilot to ha- make the electric batteries for the UPS trucks, and they were going to come to Grumman. That was one of the companies 
that had the qualified and eligible um, in the meeting that they were going to come and they were going to test it on the UPS trucks. And I think they had quite a few UPS trucks on the electric. And now they're talking about electric buses. So while we're all talking about inflation and taxes, they want to convert all the buses, school buses in New York State to electric. So you think about the infrastructure, how to plug, plug these buses in, number one, where they're getting that energy mm. from, number two, and number three, how much is that going to cost the taxpayers to convert these buses when they just they just converted all their buses from gasoline to um, compressed natural gas? Uh, they're all legitimate environmental issues that people bring up, and there's a lot of good parts to it, but you have to take a global view of it, if you ask me. Yeah. Because... Like you say, where, how's the electricity being produced in the first place? Yeah. Is it d- through hydroelectric dams? People don't like dams anymore. They want dams taken. No. Down. You know, it's better for the fish. Um, is it coming from nuclear? I mean, apparently nuclear is making somewhat of a comeback in parts I of the country. I hear it too. Um, hydrogen. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Hydrogen. And that's a big one. We've, we're involved with some people in the hydrogen end. The that's, green hydrogen, that's Charlie. possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's Everything is possible. It, I should say anything is possible, but you, you never know. You know, when, when I listen to my colleagues that are in the assembly and they tell me that they're, you know, it's 220 miles to get to Albany, you know, from Long Island. And if you have an electric car, you have to stop at Kingston. You have to plug into a supercharger for a half hour in order to make it the rest of the way. And if you thought you plugged your car in the night before, but it wasn't insecure and, and you wake up in the morning and it's not charged, you're you're there another eight hours waiting for that vehicle to charge. So I know New Yorkers like convenience. So it has to be, you know, tested and tried and proven. What happens in snowstorms, hurricanes? I mean, oh, yeah, the battery. Long Island, we've been without power for a week. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the battery wears faster if the weather is colder. Cold. That's right. And hot, yeah. So it's you temperature you, sensitive, sure. you turn your radio up or you use your windshield wipers. Anything that has to do in that electric car is going to get you. It's not going to get you as far as you think you're, it's going to get you. So and and you think about what's happening in Florida right now with all of the with the hurricane and all the people that are stranded and you know that they imagine sitting in an electric vehicle in a line trying to get off an island mm-hmm. with limited power. No. <laughs> it would it would be a free for all. Yeah, car stalls oh, builds boy. up more traffic and back. Yep. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So, Jody, let me ask you something while we're on this topic. And you know, being that you own your own business and the operating engineers, what about electric construction vehicles? Is that something people are talking about? Would that ever happen? Going from like a diesel type powered caterpillar machine to, you know, that's one of the reasons why I voted no on the legislation for the electric vehicles in 2035 and, and the, the heavier trucks, the heavier equipment, we're going to be, I think, 2045. And to me, unless you can show me that it's going to work and you can show me that that heavy piece of equipment is going to be able to handle the power and that they're not going to have to stop and plug in after loading 10 trucks, yeah. you know, or the farmers with the tractors. Yep. Same thing, or a cement mixer, you know, turn, yeah. turning a drum, it just, it goes on. I'm just, you know, just sort of thinking out loud here, but you, you brought up some good points. Yeah, brings me back to the days when you were a kid and you bought those little, well, they would be Legos now, but back then it was, you know, you had the cement truck that you'd turn. Oh, and yeah. You, and you had the Tonka you know, toys. Bulldo- yeah. yeah, the Tonka <laughs> toys. And um, think about all that being electrified. It's just where are you going to get all of this energy from? 
I don't is have the, the answer to that for sure. Is, not, there, not <laughs> is there enough land for solar and wind? Well, you know, you mentioned that is enough land for the uh, solar. There's so much solar, it seems to me, on the North Fork now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because and, they, and they've done a pretty good job of putting a buffer so you don't see it, but a lot of farmland, uh, former golf course. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, that all, a lot of that happened in Riverhead, and it was really to prevent the blackouts on the East End and to be able to get the power out there. But um, I don't know. I just, I if there were a, a rate discount for the municipalities that it's in where they're losing the taxes from that industrial development, then, uh, you know, I could see that. But it just, um, it's, I don't know, it's everywhere. And there are incentives to put the solar everywhere, these giant solar arrays. But how many houses are they actually serving? And it's interesting because when the county first put the solar panels, where they built the, um, at the county center, they built the garage, the, it's almost like an outdoor garage mm-hmm. where they have the structures and then they have the solar panels on top. But nobody ever thought about how often do you have to clean the solar panels in order for them to absorb mm-hmm. the sun and the energy right. <laughs> in order to produce energy. Nobody ever thought of that. And initially, I know there were issues with ice sliding off. Yeah. Um, yep, ice sliding off. So it it's uh, it definitely is a learning curve for sure. Well, hopefully, we'll make strides in figuring it out. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the main thing. Yeah. Because um, whether you believe it or not, with climate change or global warming, as you, as you mentioned, is it happening? You know, we're seeing sea levels rise. Again, that's uh, have an impact certainly on the North Fork, as as I mentioned earlier, with like it's. Saltwater intrusion. There is salt water completely underneath the North Fork. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you've got this this lens that we call it of, of fresh water, which yeah. is very, very susceptible and very, very precious to us here on Long Island. Sure is. So, again, anything we can do, any type of strides, but I think we do have a ways to go before we're ready to roll this out. Is 2035 going to be enough time? Time will tell, I guess. Yes, it certainly will. And we also have to, like I said, go back to – the creating businesses here that are not government businesses for manufacturing of electric batteries and for all the parts for all these efforts of trying to, you know, make New York. I, mean, I have three sisters that live in California and they're paying $6.50 for gas. And you know what they've done is everybody works from home. So what they're doing is where you used to have these office spaces and you used to have, they're, they're converting them into apartments, affordable housing. So you have everybody that's working from home, and then you have all the office space that the businesses no longer need the overhead. They can operate from anywhere. Right. You've learned through the pandemic. So all of the office spaces and the, you know, big spaces are turning into affordable housing. My sister lives in San Diego. She said that she had an intruder last week, someone just walking in her sliding glass door that she had to call the police, someone that had just uh, wow. a, a got away, so, they, so you would say, but... It, they're turning a lot of these places into housing for those specific people. Look at the cruise ship that has all the uh, the Carnival cruise ship. You saw that where they took a lot of the immigrants that had come over. That one, no, I haven't heard that Into the country, yeah, they're living on a cruise ship. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Repurposed it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, for sure. Um, but one last question on the geothermal. Right? Yes. So we, we talked about, you know, residential. What do you think of, like, maybe more commercial scale going to, like, district? Like, it's now it's a utility where we hook up multiple homes or a, 
a whole neighborhood to a single geothermal system. Have you had any discussion on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, we actually had one in Riverhead. We yeah, did you do, absolutely. Glenwood Village, that was yep. one of the first ones. Correct. And I was actually there for that. Um, and it was great. And they are, you know, those eight homes or whatever it is, they're actually benefiting from that and their utilities are a lot less. And I think that's a great idea. I think that, I don't know how often you talk about geothermal, but I think okay. I know what it is, but... Do your listeners know what it is? If they've been following us regularly, yeah, they've heard. We've had a, a full episode dedicated to the technology. We did another one specific to one of our projects, which was um, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan. We, that's the geothermal system there. Um, so if, hopefully if they've listened to I mean, maybe we do have to refresh, and, but we do rebroadcast occasionally the, the podcast too. So try yeah, to keep them up to speed. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, Town of Riverhead is they just adopted a resolution on Tuesday that they're going to put a hockey rink, an ice hockey rink in EPCAL, the former Grumman facility. And they're calling me, asking me if I can get them a discount on the utilities. But geothermal would be perfect for that. Uh, geothermal comes with rebates from PSE&G. Yeah. And if we've been talking to National Grid a little bit, too, um, those non-pipeline alternatives. Again, I told you the gas company wants to get out of the gas business. If you can demonstrate to them that they no longer have to provide that gas service there and the infrastructure that was going to be required to, to run the main and, and all the piping and everything, there's availability for some, um, you know, financial assistance from them as well. Yeah. So it's, there could be some real good opportunity if, if people are interested in listening. So. Yeah. And the, just the idea of the state, and if you were going to make legislation, you know, if there was an energy consumption over a certain kilowatt hour, that you would look into alternatives to see if they would work for that particular project would be interesting. Well, we, we've done some. We've gotten some pretty good, sizable rebates from for some customers, and, and it's all based on the efficiency of not so much the, the ground couple side, but the, the heat pumps inside the building. Yeah. Once you reach a certain, you know, EER and COP, these are the mechanical engineering terms, uh, coefficient of performance and energy efficiency ratings uh, on the equipment, you can max out on the dollars per ton of, of cooling load. So, yeah. it's, you know, but again, the more efficient the equipment, the more expensive the capital costs. So that's why the rebates get, you know, increase with the increased efficiency. Yeah, and if you can show that the capital costs actually outweigh, I mean, the capital costs balance out with the cost of energy consumption. All oh, the energy savings, yes. Yeah. You, you know, you, I don't mean to steal your thunder, but yes, uh, all the geothermal systems, if you're running them in heating and cooling, you can see anywhere from 40, 60, in some instances, 70% savings on conventional, you know, just regular electric cooling or, or oil or gas heating. I mean, it's yeah. we've done these analyses. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, we were, when we were undergoing the sewage treatment plant uh, conversion, where they were going to be watering the um, grass course. at the golf course, it was, you know, the first one in the nation. Yeah, I remember and that. And now it's, it seems to be a regular thing where people are looking to do that. I know the county's looking to do that too. But we had proposed one wind turbine on the sewer district plant that would have cut the utility costs by 25%. And everyone was afraid of the Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. The noise? Yeah, I know. Huh. Crazy, right? So it didn't happen, and now everybody wants to know why their utility rates are, you know, everybody that's on the Riverhead Sewer District, they want to know why their utility rates are so high, why their rates are so high. Interesting. I, I've been involved <laughs> with projects where there have been noise issues from things you wouldn't expect, from yeah. like an induced draft fan in a yeah, uh, yeah. chimney. 
uh, stack as well as in uh, in Yapank with the uh, heating HVAC systems. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, people d- are afraid of the unknown. Yeah. But one thing with geothermal, you don't have to be afraid because it's below ground. You don't hear a thing. Yeah, Jody, right. I, I, not to sell it too much, but that's correct. It's out of sight. There's no sound. There's maybe a heat pump or heat exchanger in the building. There's very little to no vibration. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the benefits really go on and on and on. So uh, and we love it. I'll well, correct me if I'm wrong, but we we worked with the uh, city council in New York City on some of their legislation we did. with respect to geothermal requirements. We absolutely did. We yeah. were there when the mayor, it was Bloomberg, signed it into uh, effect. It would be. One of the local laws. It would be a good exercise to look at to make sure that the uh, costs of putting the geothermal in were offset with rebates that were comparable to the original cost if you were to do it with the conventional heating and, and yeah, it's electric. Oftentimes, it's still going to cost you a little bit of money. You're not going to get the whole system funded with the rebates, but once you factor those in, the upfront cost comes very attractive compared to the conventional systems. Yeah. And then you look at the long-term savings down the road on the energy, and it's it's almost a no-brainer. Which is why I'm thinking it would be perfect for the ice hockey rink. That would be a good use for it, for sure. And you don't have a problem with the end game of disposal of solar panels, batteries. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. And as long as it's, you know, maintained properly, like I said, it's it's, it's in the earth. It's, you know, you don't want to go digging it up once it's in there. So you, you might lose some usage of the land above it. But, um, you know, we can work around that too. Yeah, I mean, they did it with sanitary systems where they put the weight-bearing covers on them. So you can definitely do something like that with the geothermal. Absolutely. All right. I have one more topic, and that goes to um, you know, preservation of the agricultural heritage out there and sort of on the east end. Um, you know, as the development interest continue to increase and, you know, it's facing more and more pressure on that stuff, how do you balance those interests versus that, that like I said, that heritage of the, you know, east end and north fork? You know, we've, we've seen a big changeover, and some of the low-lying vegetables can no longer be grown out there because the pesticides that would normally be used in order to preserve those low-lying vegetables during growth is uh, you can't use it anymore. And that's sometimes gets stuck up in Albany where uh, you have these time-release fertilizers and pesticides, you know, things of that nature that can help the farmer and, and not restrict them too much. But in 2019, they adopted the Farm Labor Wage Act where they – you know, the Farm Labor Act, where they increased the, um, they, they reduced the amount of days that the farmer could work and the hours to 60 hours a week. And then the Department of Labor goes in and inspects the housing facilities, which is fine. And the insurance requirements for the workers that are coming uh, either under the H-2A or H-2B visa program, they come here legally. So the farmers are paying $2,500 to a lawyer to get someone to come over and, uh, then they may get to the border and they may say, nope, sorry, you can't come over because you have this problem or that problem. Um, you got in trouble in wherever they came from, whether it's Ecuador or Honduras or uh, Guatemala. So the farmers pay to get these workers here. and I didn't know that. Yeah, the H-2A program is unlimited. That's throughout the whole country. You, you can have as many H-2A visas. They come work on the agricultural. But the H-2B are the ones that come and work on the, for the horticultural side and from the um, nursery stock and from the hotels and, you know, the workers that you need during the tourist season. And the H-2B, I think there's 66,000 throughout the whole country that are permitted to come into the United States and they pay taxes. 
you know, their payroll is taxed and, and they come in the right way. And then they want to work 100, 200 hours a week, as many hours as they can work to send money back to their countries. And the state is has put their foot down on that and said, now, you know, they moved it down to 60 hours a week that the farmers could work and they need a day of rest. But that's not the case in Pennsylvania. That's not the case in New Jersey. It's not the case in Connecticut. They can work as many hours as they want. They can ask for the dollar amount that they want. And they come here, they work, and then they go home to their families. And and now they're the migrants that I'm talking to don't want to work on the farms here because the farmers have to pay $15 an hour minimum wage now, uh, where in New Jersey they may be paying seven fifty because it costs less to live there, obviously, because they don't have the taxes that we do for all these great programs that uh, Albany legislators come up with. But uh, <laughs> being sarcastic. But the... Um, the farmers are really struggling. They really are. They. It seems like every single day they're getting hit over the head with something else, and now they've limited it to 40 hours a week. So anything over 40 hours a week for a farm worker, they get time and a half. That I've seen in the, in the news, yeah. I mean, I sat on hearings for 18 hours listening to everybody, and if I heard 1% of the people say, you know, that's what we want, uh, it was a lot. And and we had the farm laborers that were on the calls and we had the farmers that were on the calls. And it's you're really what you're doing is you're restricting the amount of crops that a farmer can grow because he's not going to have the, the farm hands that he needs in order to do it. And when you talk about, you know, the, I was talking to Doug Smith. He's in the assembly with me. We bounce things off of each other a lot. But in California, you're paying ten dollars a gallon for milk. Really? Wow. Yes. And we're going to see that here. We're going to see that here as, you know, the you don't have the farm hands to milk the cows. The farmers can the dairy farmers can't afford to pay the $15 an hour. Uh, you know, I was in plenty of rallies up in Albany to put whole milk back in the schools because a lot of the reduced fat milk is getting thrown in the garbage. The kids don't want to drink it. And, you know, the state won't put the whole milk back into the schools because of the legislation that was passed on the federal level years ago. So it's um, it's going to get harder and harder. And as it, I mean, I was listening to a bakery owner the other day saying that she's having a hard time getting butter. So it's... I, I actually wow. heard on the radio that there's a, the stockpile of butter is reduced and uh, that there's a whole lot of factors that you're mentioning that come into play with it. Yeah, and so where it used to cost you, you know, so much for a dozen eggs or for a gallon of milk, you know, it's going to cost you a lot more because the farmers are going to have to pay it, and either that or they're just going to go out of business, but they're not going to lose money. So as legislation keeps happening and, you know, you have the animal rights activists that don't want the cows milked by the machinery, even though the farmers would never do anything, dairy farmers would never do anything to hurt their cows. Um, they just don't want it. They think it's inhumane. So if they don't have the farm hands, they're not going to be able yeah. to produce the milk. Yep. And if they do produce the milk, it's just going to cost us more. So it, that's those are the things that I'm talking about, that legislators don't think about what the end result of the legislation that they're putting the, on the books is going to have on the, res, on the people of the state of New York. That is very interesting. It's stuff that just yeah. does not, you know, I'm glad you brought all this up. This is stuff we've never talked about before on, on the Environmental Echo. So hopefully our listeners are really getting a lot out of this today. Yeah. And um, the fertilizers and the pesticides uh, abs- and absolutely. everything. The farmers, are, they're, 
they're having to come up with alternatives all the time as to how to... Uh, None of us think of this. You know, we just complain that the prices went up, that it, I, I had to go pay for that dozen eggs or that, you know, pound of butter yeah. or the gallon of milk, you know. It's, yeah. We don't... The vegetables even. Yeah. And yeah. a way to discourage you from making your grass greener is to increase the price of fertilizers that you buy yeah. from Magway to go and put on your lawn so that you're, you use less of it so that it's better on the uh, aquifer. Often we don't realize as consumers uh, why these things are happening because the legislation is passed. By the time it takes effect, the people you forget about what happened and you don't make that correlation. But... Um, you know, I've seen it on a local level where legislation was passed without uh, the initiator asking what happens if I do this. Yeah. You know? And that's, you know, people that come up with this kind of legislation, they should be speaking to the farmers. Yes. And, uh, yes, they should be speaking to the farmers. There's a lot of things that are happening right now in our culture as far as inflation and as far as, you know, crime that's in the streets, not that we we're going to get into that. But, you know, the, the people that are the stakeholders need to be brought to the table before the legislation is put on the books. Because the people need to know the long-term effect that the legislation is going to have, not only on the producers, but the consumers. Again, these are all interesting and pretty, pretty valid points. Um, so glad you brought them up. Uh, and Jody, do you have anything we didn't cover that we, we want to touch on before we wrap up for the day? I know you've got a busy schedule. We don't want to take up too much of your time here. Yeah, no, I think that it's important. I mean, I know that the county and I know that the state has a lot of money on the for the sanitary systems to convert the sanitary systems over to the IA systems or the bacteria systems that the bacteria absorbs the nitrogen. But um, you know, there's that is a big problem for a lot of people, especially in watershed communities. Mm -hmm where they are, you know, they're having problems with their water quality. Yep. I mean, Peconic Lake Estates in my district, I had a meeting with them, and, you know, we used to be able to get a speedies permit, a state pollution discharge elimination system approved in New York State, where you could propose a cluster system where everybody was on this one system, and then you'd pump it up, or you'd, you know, mm -hmm. have a, some way of getting it all to one location and making sure that that one location is monitored. And I think we need to go back to that and see a little bit more of that. And when it comes to uh, sanitary systems and disposal of, if you can't get these 70 houses onto, um, you know, sewers, because sewers are very expensive. Oh, so, we know. <laughs> so if you can't get them into sewers, you got to go back to the um, cluster systems with the pumps. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense because regional treatment plants and sewers to get the sewage there are very expensive and there's a lot of uh, community issues that nobody wants the regional plant. What are you going to do with the water? If you do it in more manageable numbers, yeah, it can be done. Yeah, as a pilot, like with the geothermal at Glenwood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we need to look at more rebates for those particular things that really are self-functioning. Every little bit will help for sure. Charlie, anything you want to bring up before we no, sign off? We covered a wide range of things. We sure did. Which, which didn't surprise me, being friends with Jody. That's well, <laughs> yeah, again, for many years. I do want to thank uh, Assemblywoman Jody Giglio from District 2 here on Long Island um, for her time today and her insightful um, uh, opinions and thoughts and, and visions. Uh, Charlie, I want to thank you for joining us as always. And to wrap up, again, this is the Environmental Echo with PW Grocer Consulting. 
Uh, I'm your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President. And again, lastly, if you guys need to get a hold of us or would like to get a hold of us, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. We look forward to hearing from you. I hope our listeners enjoyed today's episode. It was, as I said, very enlightening and, and uh, geothermal. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I share your passion for it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I encourage our listeners, you guys, anyone out there, you want to know more about it, there's tons to Google on it or certainly reach out to PW Grocer. We'd be happy to share our ideas with you on it as well. And uh, that's enough out of me today. I'll sign off uh, and we'll see you on the next episode.